I want to tell you about somebody. I want to tell you about a woman named Sheila Walsh, a Christian writer, Christian singer, and co-host of the 700 Club. Yeah. Um, regardless, uh, she has a story, and it's an important story, and uh, it's one I want to share, and I want to share some of it in her own words. She says this. She says, one morning, I was sitting on the set of the 700 Club with my pantsuit and my inflatable hairdo. That evening, I was in a psych evaluation ward. And she goes on to say, she says, I voluntarily checked myself in. She said, I was having mental health issues that had culminated in a way where I couldn't breathe any longer. I was having panic attacks. And so she talks about wanting to check herself in to be evaluated for mental health. And this is what she says happened before she checked herself in. She says, before I entered the hospital, my friends and coworkers told me, don't do this. You'll never have this platform again. If people knew or know that you are in a mental institution or on medication, it is over. And this is a woman who feels like, said at that point, she felt like she had truly lost everything. Her family, her job, her house, her salary, lost it all. And why did she think she was losing it all? Because this is a woman who wanted to get help for her mental health. A Christian woman who wanted to get help for her mental illness. That's why she thought she lost it all. Ooh. Be the light. We're in our Be the Light series. What does being the light have to do with mental health? Um, we talked a lot about uh, what it means to be the light, what it means to be a progressive Christian church, what does it mean um, to live by the light of Christ as a progressive Christian church. Uh, and, you know, we all sing this little light of mine. How do we sing it loud and with conviction? Am I right? <laughs> You're all like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I love that. Um, and so we talked about prayer, right? Prayer is an important thing. We talked about how grief and mourning is important if we're to be the light. We talked about being open and honest and confessing sin is an important thing. And then Mira spoke last week, and if you were here, you heard an amazing message on wrestling with forgiveness, right? And so that's what it means to be the light. And there's a thread that runs through this. And the thread that runs through this whole series is that if we're to be the light of Christ, then vulnerability and authenticity and honesty is a must. It has to happen in order for us to really show the light of Christ. Now that goes completely against the world, right? It goes, I mean, completely against it. I made a joke a couple weeks ago. I said, we go into a job interview and they say, tell us your weakness. And we don't say like, oh, my weakness is stealing office supplies. Like we don't do that, right? We say we don't have a weakness. We say that we're strong and that's the way the world operates. Which is interesting, right? Because there's that passage. It says, uh, be in the world but not of the world. You know this passage I'm talking about? And when I was younger, I used to think that meant like, don't drink, don't smoke, don't listen to the parental explicit lyrics. CDs, you know what I mean? And now I'm like, wait, I get that. I think what Jesus is saying is when everybody else is portraying strength, it's okay for us to portray weakness. It's okay for us to be vulnerable. It's okay for us to share our vulnerability. And I think this is a huge issue and an important issue when it comes to our mental health and mental illness and the way we tackle it. This is why I think it should be a part of this Be the Light series. And so I'm going to tell you straight up that this was a hard message to write because there's not a whole lot out there within the Christian realms on what it means to deal with mental illness or mental disorder. That's a difficult thing. And so a lot of this is just the beginning, all right? So, so take that as such. It's a beginning. We have uh, three different mental health panels we're going to do in the coming months, and that is, is where we can get more in-depth. Um, but right now I want to tell you a little bit about my story because as many of you know, I had deal with depression and anxiety. Uh, I take medication for both. Uh, my anxiety, especially, has been around as long as I can remember. So I remember being like six, and my mom would have to pick me up from lunch at school every day because I was afraid of the lunch aids. 
And uh, yeah, I know, yeah, yeah. Um, because that's real. Because there's an anxiety there. When, when my bus was a minute late, my whole life would collapse, right? And, just, and I didn't know what to do with myself. I can't begin to tell you how many times I've thrown up out of fear or nervousness, which y'all didn't want to know. But it happens a lot to me. Our church is six years old. I've been the leader of this church for six years. And still, every single Sunday, every single Sunday at 9.50, I have to will myself not to pass out. I just deal with anxiety. I don't know why. And at some point, um, I think I was in college. I was, I was in Christian college, and, and uh, I went to somebody for this. I said, hey, uh, I need help because this is a really tough way to live life. Like, I'm really tired all the time. This is difficult. And they said, well, how's your quiet time? And I said, I think it's pretty good. And they said, well, what are you meditating on? And I said, well, what do you mean? And they said, well, what verses are you meditating on? And then this Christian counselor gave me a couple verses to meditate on. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. And then this other one. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything in prayer by, and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And he says, are you meditating on verses like that? And I said, no. And he said, why? And I said, well, because one of them is a verse about when the Babylonian Empire takes over Israel. And the other one's about the Roman Empire killing new Christians. Why would I meditate on those two? But you see, what happens is, as Christians, what we've done is we've said we can fix mental illness, we can fix anxiety, we can fix whatever it might be, simply by meditating on Scripture. Now, here's the thing. Meditating on Scripture is good. I don't want to knock it in any way. In fact, scientists have said when you meditate on a loving God and loving Scripture, what ends up happening is it actually changes your brain chemistry. That's a good thing. But meditating on Scripture to fix my anxiety or to fix our mental illness is about the same as someone with a broken leg coming up to me and saying, my leg is broken, and me going, good, just hold it up in the air above your heart so the swelling goes down. And they do that, and I'm like, should be all good then. Right? It's just a small, tiny little part of the actual solution. But the issue that we have, especially as Christians, is we are afraid to deal with this issue. And so what we say is, um, well, have you breathed the right way? Are you praying the right way? Somebody has the flu, we might chide them for not getting a flu shot. We may be like, you're an idiot, why don't you get a flu shot? But what do we tell them? No, go, get, go, go, go to the doctor. You can be fixed, you can be healed. Or if somebody has a broken bone, we don't read that last part of the Psalms to them and go, well, I guess you did something wrong because God says all your bones will be intact, but yours aren't. We don't do that. We say, oh my gosh, go get that set, go get that fixed, go get an x-ray. But with mental health, we somehow say, well, you are, you are in control of the chemicals in your brain, unlike other things. So now go work on that and change that. Now what does that do to us? Create shame. Create shame. This must be my issue. This must be something that's happening to, to me because I've done something wrong. I must be a sinner. Create shame. What else does it do? It says that the only person who can do anything about this is me. And so if you're like me, what I did is I just said, I, I guess I just have to bottle this up and deal with it. And I bottled it up and I dealt with it and I told nobody about it and I was married and I was married for like two years and my wife was like, what's wrong with you? And I was like, what do you mean? And I was like, oh, that. I was like, I have anxiety and it's really bad. And she's like, why don't we get that fixed? And that's the first time anybody had ever said that. There's a way that's, that's beyond you that you can get help. Now, I think we get this honestly. 
I think we create these solutions or these situations, honestly. I, I think we, we put shame on people with mental illness, honestly. I think we do it um, because it's actually biological. Uh, how many people know of Science Mike McGarg? Does anybody know who he is? Ask Science Mike. He came to our church, visited a couple times. He's an acquaintance of mine. And he explains the way our brains operate when someone tells us that they have a mental illness or a mental disorder. He explains that, that, the way that works. And what he says is he says, when someone has a mental illness or a mental disorder, and by the way, this is also for people with physical disabilities as well, our brain reacts and responds in our amygdala. So it's like the an animal kind of part of our brain, the lower part of our brain. And the way we react when somebody tells us that they have a mental disorder or mental illness is the same way we would react to someone with a communicable disease. So we react the same way we would to somebody who's completely pale and sweating and has a fever of 102 and a runny nose walking towards us ready to give us a hug. <laughs> like we react with the same part of our brain. Do we get that? It's almost like biologically we missed something. Something was messed up. Not only that, but I want to double down on it because if that mental illness, if your mental disorder, if my mental disorder manifests itself physically, then three out of every four of us will have our fight or flight instinct triggered. Three out of every four of us. And so what we do is we say, this person's not safe, this person's dangerous, I need to run away, and we do run away. Or I need to fight, or I need to do something. And so what we've done is we've created a scenario, or we've created situations where everyone we see who's a, uh, whose mental illness manifests itself physically, well, they must be super dangerous and super violent, stay away from them. And that's not true. But our brains have made it true. We've made it true. We get it biologically. It's the way we've evolved. And so what we do especially as Christians, is we try to put in place these things that, that, that try to make sense of what our brains are doing. Well, if our brains are telling us this is bad and our brains are telling us to run away, well, then it must be. And Frank Viola, who is a pastor, he is someone who deals with mental illness as well. He says this, he says, Throughout my years of being involved in various and sundry Christian movements and denominations, it seems that Christians understand mental disorder in one of two ways. Mental illness is demonic in origin. So the antidote is to cast out the demons that are causing it. Mental illness is psychobabble. There's no such thing as mental disorder. And so-called mental illnesses are just sinful behavior. So the antidote is to, is to repent and get right with God. Do you see what we do there? We try to make sense of why we react the way we react. And we say, this, this, if, if we're reacting so strongly to this, it must be their fault. And for us who do suffer with mental illness, we're saying, wow, people are reacting so strongly to this, it must be my fault. We create these scenarios, especially in Christianity. So it doesn't matter that 60 million people, over 60 million people, will suffer with mental health illness in their lifetime. It does not matter. It doesn't matter that every single one of us in this room, we know someone with schizophrenia, with anxiety, with bipolar disorder, with substance abuse, with, with eating disorder, whatever it might be, we know that person. It doesn't matter uh, that one in five children will have a mental health issue by the time they're 18. It doesn't matter that 90% of people who take their lives suffer from mental illness. None of that matters because it's that person's fault, and they can control the chemicals in their brain, unlike, say, the white blood cells fighting infection. Do we see where that doesn't work? How are we to be the light? How are we to be the light? Frank Villa comes back and he says this, and I want to find the quote for you real quick. He says, mental illness is, is a physiological disorder. The brain is a physical organ, just like the heart, the thyroid, the joints, Someone has panic attacks or bipolar disorder or schizophrenia or chronic depression or ADHD. They have a chemical imbalance in the brain, and it's not dissimilar to hyperthyroidism or high blood pressure or arthritis. 
That's where we start. Let's start by telling that story. And then from there, if we're going to be the light, guess what we need to do? Let's start changing our brain chemistry. <laughs> Let's stop operating from the base of our skulls when we think about mental health. And the only way that we can do that is to be the light of Christ. How many people at one point wore a WWJD bracelet? How many people still have it on? No? It's good. We should. We're in church. So guess who I'm going to talk about right now? Y'all are good Sunday school people. Let's talk about Jesus. I want to talk about the fact real quick that Jesus was Jewish. All of us want him to be Christian. Guess what? He was not Christian. He was Jewish. Cool? All right. And so if Jesus is Jewish, Jesus follows Jewish law. And what does Jewish law say about mental health? Uh, Deuteronomy 28.15. If you will not listen to the voice of uh, the eternal God to observe, to do all God's commandments and God's statutes, which I command you this day, all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. The eternal will strike you with madness and blindness and astonishment of heart. And you will grope at noonday as the blind grope in darkness. You will not make your ways prosperously. You will be oppressed and robbed always, and there will be none to save you. That's what they says about mental health. Now, let's just cut people some slack. It's, you know, it's, it's thousands upon thousands of years ago. We don't know scientifically what we do now, right? And so there's an idea and a pervasive idea that, that your mental health issue comes from the fact that you have not followed God's commandments, that you have disobeyed God. So if Jesus, who was an incredible uh, Jewish observer, right? You know, he was called a teacher. He was called rabbi, right? This is what Jesus should be following, this statute. It's in the Torah. This is what it says. And so then we get this other verse in Matthew 4, 24. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. And, he, and, and they brought him all the sick and those afflicted with various diseases and pains and those oppressed by demons and epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. All right, so when Jesus sees someone who uh, is demon-possessed, and by now almost all scholars agree that if someone in Scripture is called demon-possessed, it's usually because they had a mental illness. Most of the time that is the case. So when Jesus walks up to those who are demon-possessed, what does Jesus say? You have sinned before God. You're not following God's statutes. That's why you're like this. And you need to turn away. <laughs> no, that's not what Jesus says. <laughs> that's not what Jesus says at all. Y'all got real nervous for a second. <laughs> you should have seen your faces. No, no. Jesus goes up and Jesus says, I see you. And the way that I see you is that, is that you're part of God's creation. Not only are you part of God's creation, you're made in God's image. And I affirm that. I don't run from that. I don't think that you're something that I'm going to catch. And so what I'm going to do to show you that you are affirmed and to show everybody else that you are affirmed is you are going to be healed. And that's what Jesus does. Affirms through healing. And then there's the man who uh, has seizures. And I can only imagine how scary it was to have a seizure 2,000 years ago when you didn't have the scientific knowledge behind it, how scary that might be and how people would think that person absolutely doesn't follow the law. They don't follow God. This is why this person it feels the way they feel. And this is why this person has, has seizures the way that they have them. And I could see Jesus going up and being like, repent of this and this will all go away. No. And Jesus says, I see you. You are made in the image of God. I want to show other people you're made in the image of God. I'm going to heal you. I affirm you. I don't run from you. And we see this 9, 10, 11 times in the gospel messages. Every single time. What Jesus does is Jesus doesn't say, even though the law says, and it's the same law we all follow, that says that you were disobedient. Jesus says, no, no, there was never any disobedience. Never. All there is is the fact that you are created in the image of God, and I want to affirm that fact, and I want others to affirm it too, so I'm going to heal you because of it. 
And then here's the kicker for me. In fact, I dare say this is sometimes the reason that I come back to Christianity when I'm about to walk away. It comes from Mark 3, 20, 21. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. And when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said he is out of his mind. So you have Jesus, who's been called out of his mind. Jesus, who is told that he is in violation of not following God. Jesus, who's told that his brain doesn't operate the way that it needs to operate. And then it goes further. And the teachers of the law came down from Jerusalem and said, He is possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons. He's driving out demons. And Jesus gets what we get. Well, this guy must have demons and something else must be going on. Jesus, you know, Jesus is outside of God's law. And this means so much to me. I'm going to tell you why it means so much to me. Because we have a God, and that God says, I love my creation so much. How much do I love my creation? That I'm going to come as God incarnate, as Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, his body doesn't work like our body doesn't work. In fact, by the time we're born, we're all racing to our maker's arms. Thank you, Black Keys. And he says, I want to show up like that. I want to show up to a place where, where I'm accused of actually having mental issues. You know, we don't know if Jesus did or not, but uh, accused of that because I want people to identify with Jesus. And, and for those of us who struggle with mental illness, Jesus was at least accused of it too, knows what that feels like. And then Jesus was weak. And Jesus was hurt. People ran away. There was a stigma. And he ultimately dies. And then God says, you want to see what I think about you? And then Jesus is resurrected to show us that, 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 that pain, that death, that illness, whatever it might be, that we cannot be defeated by it. That's what we see through Jesus Christ. And that, that's the reason I keep coming back. So how do we be the light of Christ? How do we do it? How do we, how do we stop the stories like Sheila's story at the beginning from ever happening again? How do we do that? Let's not run away, number one. Let's not run away. And, 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 you know, I don't think any of y'all have ever physically run away. But what does it mean when somebody says, hey, I deal with this, I struggle with this, for you to say, I look at you, I see you, and I affirm you the same way that God does, the same way that Jesus does. And for those of us who struggle with mental illness, what's it for us to say, you know what, I don't care about stigma, I don't care about shame, I'm telling the world. Because in telling the world... I'm changing brain chemistry. I'm changing biology. I'm ending the narrative that says there must be something wrong with you. And instead, I'm contributing to a narrative that says God loves you and God wants you to work for God's kingdom, not in spite of your illness, because of your illness. So let's believe that. Let's live that. Let's be vulnerable. Let's be honest about it. Let's be the light. Amen? All right, let's pray. God, we, we, uh, we say we're thankful. Uh, I'm just thankful for the good news that comes every time I think that I'm not good enough, that you show me Jesus and show me that I'm okay. Thank you, God. God, I just pray that we are challenged to do the courageous work of ending shame, ending shame around mental illness. God, I pray that you would give us the courage to, to love the same way you love in it. And Lord, just uh, be gracious when we can't. We pray this in your name. Amen.